Thank you all for worshiping. Thank you for giving to our church. And if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd love for you to open up with me to Isaiah 51 today. We'll also be turning at the end of our time to Genesis chapter 1. That's easy enough for you to find unless your Bible just has a lot of stuff in the front of it. So you don't have to bookmark that unless you just like to. Isaiah 51 is going to be our text, and we'll read from that in just a few uh, minutes. And looking forward to beginning a brand new series today that... Uh, kind of speaks for itself as to where we're going with this, but I think we'll have a good time uh, learning together today. Just the introduction, just kind of just scratch the surface today, but a lot to look forward to across the next couple of weeks. Hope you'll join us along this journey. Um, has anybody ever heard and maybe used this old proverb or this old adage, remember where you came from. Maybe that's something that you uh, say a lot or you have are a firm believer in as, hey, we should remember where we came from. And, and maybe you uh, remind people quite often, hey, you should remember um, where you came from or you should learn what your, uh, what, your, what your backstory is, what your history is. Now, there are various versions of this, you know, know your history or, or know your roots. And a lot of times the people who harp on this uh, are, are usually older people who are talking to younger people who are quick to forget where they came from or, or maybe never take the time to learn where they came from, uh, there's certainly some truth to how often, not just young people, but people in general, we often jeopardize where we want to be at by forgetting or compromising the values that were embedded in us or instilled in us. Uh, as children, parts of our, uh, as part of our family, uh, values are embedded into us, as in taught to us and internalized into us, and they become sort of second nature, um, and, and, and they're instilled in us, and we're taught to believe certain things and to value certain things and to focus on certain things. And, and there's a point in life for all of us, uh, whether as we're growing up or as we encounter certain things, good or bad, uh, opportunities or challenges, uh, there's something that often uh, causes us to turn away from that foundation, turn away from that, uh, th those values that were embedded and instilled, uh, and, and we often jeopardize where we want to be at, the future we want to have, uh, for, uh, by compromising these values that we've always had or that we've been taught to have. Uh, this is something important to families and, and parts of larger communities, but, but sometimes uh, this proverb comes at us, not, again, not accusing us of forgetting, uh, but confronting the reality that we've never taken the time to learn. Uh, that we, we, you know, when someone says, hey, remember where you came from, they're really saying, do you know where you come from? Or do you know the backstory to all of this that is very important to you or should be very important to you? And, and I think we all can relate to that. Uh, and a lot of us may be tangentially aware uh, of our backstory, but we've never learned it. We've never showed interest and appreciation for it. And, uh, you know, the, the stories around us and, and all the different things are around us, but we've never absorbed all the details. And, and I think uh, we all have the point growing up where we maybe something happens that captures our interest. Uh, we come across uh, some family history, some books or some, uh, some documents, or maybe something happens in our families where we take a greater interest or something happens in our community or in our world around us uh, that makes us kind of lean into who we are and, and where we come from and, uh, you know, the things that, that we can glean from that. Um, this is a message that is preached across all sorts of different social groups and different social environments, from 
families to uh, sports uh, co- companies and, and countries. Um, they're, they're, this, this message, remember where you came from, is true across all sorts of social groups and all sorts of aspects. Um, for example, uh, there's so much to dig up and learn about our own families that could just broaden our understanding and increase our capacity to be the best version of ourselves, to carry on our family name the best that we can. Um, you know, and if you're a fan of sports, you, you probably know there's always this notion that athletes ought to uh, respect and have reverence for the greats that came before them, that an athlete that comes into a new, to, to, to a league, um, they ought to be aware of the people that paved the way for them and, and they should show some respect and dignity to those who wore the jersey before them or, or, or carried the, the, um, the sport before them, and, and you know this, if you're a, a fan of something or a fan of a, of a league or a series, when someone comes in and they don't really appreciate the way it's been done, they kind of rub you the wrong way, right? And, and you're not really a big fan uh, of them. Or maybe a, a leader or a commissioner comes in that doesn't really respect the way it's been done, and, and sometimes it kind of tampers with the integrity uh, of the sport. Uh, there's also, uh, this is also true within businesses, within companies, within churches. Um, this idea that people ought to appreciate the labor and the strides that were done by generations past, that the, the company has a history, that the, the, the business or the, even the church has a story, and there's stuff to learn from that. Um, uh, you know, obviously, we know this is a big discussion within any given country, our own country. We're, we're very re- aware of that, right? Uh, as many believe, in order to make the most of the moment that we've been given uh, in the spotlight, it's necessary to look back and learn the stories of those who came before us. You know, I've always been a big fan of history, uh, not just U.S. history, uh, not just world history, but I love the history of stuff. Um, If I'm passionate about something, I want to know about it, not just about what I'm, about the current model or the current version or the current oper- the current offerings, but I kind of want to dig into the history of everything uh, to do with that thing. Um, I- I'm the kind of person that wants to know the history of the company whose products I buy. Uh, I want to know the history of the brand or the franchise or whatever I'm interested in. Um, I want to know the history of the sport or the sports team. Um, you-, you might call me an enthusiast of sorts, but I think a lot of us are like that, that if you're into a band, you want to know all about the band before they even were a band, if you're into a sports league, you want to know all about the different errors of that sports league and the different coaches and the different star athletes. Uh, if you're a fan of, of some sort of um, you know franchise or some sort of entertainment thing, you kind of want to know more than just about what you can find in this contemporary um, time. Um, and, and y'all know the stuff I'm into. I don't want to bore you with, and, and go off on tangents. But, uh, you know, growing up, I, I used to order magazines of things uh, of, off of eBay from like 20, 30 years before my time because I just wanted to read about the stuff I was interested in because I figured, hey, I want to know, uh, know what the story is, not just what there is about it now. I want to know all the details of the stuff that I missed because I wasn't here yet. And, and then, of course, with YouTube and podcasts and you know, the advent of wikis and online resources, um, you can just go online and you can find all the history you want, right? whether it's uh, the world history or whether it's the history of some product that you are interested in. Um, Now, you know, are are you going to enjoy, for for example, are you going to enjoy Disney World any less if you don't know the history of the 20, 30, 40 year past, right? Uh, Do you have to be like me and know what used to be in that site and what was almost in that site and, and all the stories behind what it took to build that no, you can enjoy it without knowing all that stuff, right? Uh, you, you don't have to know um, what George Lucas's draft in 1975 was for the original Star Wars to appreciate Star Wars. Uh, I think you probably would be, be interested 
in reading it, right? But, but you prob- probably wouldn't, right? You, you don't have to, you know, you can pick up a, a modern video game controller without knowing what Donkey Kong Jr. was like in 1981. And, and I wasn't even alive back then, but, you know, I, 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 I appreciate the, the original stuff. Because I, I think that there's something to learn from and something to appreciate from the history of what may be a modern product or a modern offering, right? But to me, and again, I think knowing the history enriches the experience. I think knowing the history um, makes you appreciate what you have in front of you more. You don't have to know the history of anything to appreciate what there is now. Uh, you, You can live a good life without any awareness of what happened 10, 20, 30 years ago or a hundred years ago. But, but I think, and I think many of you would agree, I think there's something to be enriched about the experience and there's an appreciation to be gained about the product or about the thing by studying the history. Now, on a much more productive and uh, in, in, in bringing the real world benefit to us, you know, knowing the history of your town that you live in, knowing the history of the state you call home, uh, knowing the history of our country and the twists and turns that we've taken to get where we are today, all that makes us a better citizen. All that makes us better neighbors. And, and, and you might not think that matters to you, but when someone else is a good neighbor to you and someone else is a good citizen in their own right, you appreciate that. So we, they would appreciate us to do the same. Uh, th- th- those things, uh, again, I, I I think knowing history, especially of a country and of a society, it helps us understand the conflicts that we see around us. It helps us understand the sensitive areas in our world. Uh, Because most likely, if there's an area of conflict today, or if there's a sensitive area today, it's because there's some sort of story that tethers it back decades, even centuries. And that's true in our world today. And we could go a hundred different examples of that. Show a hundred different examples that explain, hey, this is why this is a problem today because of something that happened 30, 40, 100 years or more ago. Uh, History particularly that relates to us, whether we consider it or not, or whether we consider it history or not, history that somehow affects our present reality uh, helps us to see and think and process everything around us. So if someone were to, to, to ask you, hey, why does learning the history of something or some group or, 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 or of our world, why does learning history matter and what's the benefit? It, it helps you see and think and process our reality, our present reality better. So learning about the past helps us see the present uh, and helps us think about the present and helps us process what's going on with a greater understanding. It gives us clarity, as in, hey, you see it, and you think about it, and you process it, and you understand all that's going into what, has, what is in front of us. We understand all that's, that's went into bringing us here. Uh, it, it makes you have a little patience, because if you understand all the complicated details that have come together to bring us to where we are today, you understand that we're going to have to be a little bit patient to get through all this, because it didn't just get like this overnight. It's been a long journey. So it requires some patience. And when you learn history, you kind of take a couple breaths and think, wow, yeah, maybe we need to be a little bit patient with this because it took a lot to get us here and it might take a lot to get us moving forward. And and again, direction. Learning where we've been helps us understand how we can navigate the future because no doubt the challenges we faced before might be challenges that we're going to face again. And of course we'll face Again, So if we know where things have been, we can get a pretty good idea as to where things are going, or at least make a good prediction. 
Now, whether you articulate it that way or not, I think a lot of us agree, remember where you came from is a good adage to live by. Uh, probably uh, you agree with a few of the reasons that, I, that I've brought before you. Uh, from history of your families to history of our country, knowing where we come from helps us see what has worked best and what hasn't worked at all, helps us think before repeating a past mistake, helps us process a situation, uh, and maybe... Uh, you know, keeps us uh, uh, keeps things flowing a little bit easier going forward. Uh, literally, no one is worse for wear if you know the backstory and you know the history of something. Sometimes it can be quite revelatory. Sometimes learning history can allow us to uncover a lost sense of purpose, a forgotten passion, a buried secret. History will help explain a lot. It help explains and helps us understand how we got where we are and why we are like we are. We go through this when we get married and we meet spouses, families, right? And, and you know, you, you, you realize, oh, oh, that's where that comes from, right? Because you meet other people that are just like that, right? And we go through this, members of a company or a club or even churches, where the more we learn, the more we understand where these little traditions come from and where these little quirks come from and the values and the goals that have been around for a while. And literally, there's no way you could walk into American society in 2023 and understand what's going on and why things happen the way they happen. There's no way you can understand it without reading at least the bullet points of our country's history. So much is explained and so much is revealed through backstory, through origin stories. So on that note, let me ask you this. How much do you think we can learn and how much do you think can be explained about humanity about people in general, our species, how much you think can be explained about people and about this world if we were to study our greater origin story and really take serious what the details give us. Beyond our families, beyond our countries, beyond what may be important to us, there's so much about us as people, as humans, that things that make us tick, why we are like we are, why we need what we need, what happens when we ignore those areas of needs. So much of that can be explained and known through a look back at where we come from as a people, as a species, where and how our world came into existence. This was the message that Isaiah the prophet came to Israel with uh, around 700 or so BC when they were at a very low place, when they had lost their way completely. And Isaiah's message to them, and I think his message to us in many ways as we face similar challenges that they face, similar uh, uh, loss, losing our ways and losing our sense of purpose and getting so down and discouraged when things don't go the right way or we, the way we want them to go. Isaiah comes at them with a message that they need to relearn or maybe for the first time learn their origin story that God had specifically revealed to an earlier generation to keep them from wandering and drifting away to places and conditions like they had arrived at in his generation. So I want to highlight a couple of verses from Isaiah 51 that I think encourage us to follow the same lead that, that he gave his generation. I think they implores us and it really uh, demands that we learn our own origin story, that we follow the same path that he lays out for us. So I want to show you a few verses from Isaiah 51, really a seminal text that calls us to discover our origin story as a people, particularly as a people made by God. So why does it matter? Why is it important? Well, listen to Isaiah 51 verses 1 through 3 and see if you can hear this call 
to us in our generation. This is God talking through Isaiah. So he says, listen to me. You who follow after righteousness or you who desire to be right with me and to be at the right place with me and be full of the right things. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn into the hold of the pit from which you were dug. So he's using a, a rock quarry analogy that, hey, this rock that you, get, that you may find came from a larger rock, came from a larger source. So he says to the people, look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. And then he specifically says, look to Abraham, your father. Now, we know Abraham. Look to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. So he says, hey, there is comfort and there is peace and there is direction by looking back. But he doesn't just call back to Abraham. Listen to the details in this next verse. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. So now he's going back farther than Abraham. He's referencing literally the first habitat that God placed humans in. He's referencing the garden of Eden, which goes way back, all the way back. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving in the voice of Melody. So we hear this powerful line, look to the rock from which you were hewn, from the pit, from the quarry out of which you were dug. So the message here is that our being stems from a much larger being that we are tethered to, connected to, by design to a shared source. I mean, this is really a communal wake-up call for all of us because we individually are a part of a much larger community, right? Not just this community, not just our country, but our world. We are all of a species that came from the same origin. And, and Isaiah calls the people to understand that and to realize you'll never take Take a step in the right direction without understanding where you came from. Of course, I think we know that what it's, what it's talking about. We all come from the same God. All of us are made by the same creator. And, and notice how Isaiah walks the people back to the source. He goes back to Abraham and he goes back to Eden. So this isn't just a Jewish thing. This isn't just an Israel thing. This is a world thing. Abraham speaks at the beginning of Israel as a nation, but Eden speaks of the beginning of humanity. Now look down at verses 12 and 13. And if you have time this week, study this whole chapter. It really is a rich text, but I want to just spotlight some of the, the high points for you and maybe some verses that you can commit to memory. Verse 12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die, of the son of man who will, be like, who will be made like grass? So he sees Israel so overwhelmed by the conflicts of their day, so distracted by all the things that aren't going the way they want them to go. And he says, hey, if you had your eyes on me, you wouldn't be so intimidated by people that, are, that, that I made that have no power apart from me. And isn't that so true for us? God says to us, he says, hey, why are you so worried about what people can do to you when you've not even learned about the God who made you. And maybe, maybe learning about and taking solace in the God that made you will help you have a greater understanding of the whole world around you. I, I think that's the message, don't you? And then we hear this, this, ver, this, this statement in verse 13. And you forget the Lord your 
maker. So what is, he, what is he specifically calling back to? You have not ever taken the time to understand that you were made by God. You forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth. You've forgotten the Lord, your maker, the one who laid the foundations of your existence. And again, down in verse 15, this is God's plea to us. But I am the Lord. What is that next two words? Your God, right? So this is personal. I am the Lord, your God. So this is not just God saying, hey, I'm large and in charge. I'm greater than you. I'm above you and high and mighty. Bow before me. What is God's message to us? I am your personal God. There's, this isn't some distant relationship. This is personal to God. You should bookmark this verse again and again. Return to it. God says, I'm not just the God. He has every right to say I am the God. But he doesn't do that. He says, I am your God. He's our God. He says in verse 15, who divided the sea, whose waves roared, the Lord of hosts is his name. The God of the armies of heaven is our personal Lord. See how it stretches out from one extreme to the other. Verse 16, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. So notice how God is being so personal that God has literally made us and has put within us what we need and has covered us and protected us. That I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. So verse 16 explains why God made this world. He made it so that he could say, you are my people. Isn't that incredible? The God who doesn't need us made a world for us so that we might know him and that he might know us. We'll get into more of that in a little bit, but he gives us our very breath. He sovereignly takes care of us, whether we realize it or not. But this is just the tip of the iceberg, the primer or the preview. Isaiah is calling us to go back and see for ourselves. Read for ourselves. Read for yourselves. The very detailed accounts of how God put it all in motion. And fortunately, we can do that. Fortunately, we can go back before Israel, before Abraham, before Eden, and we can read about the foundations that were laid chapter by chapter when God created the heavens and the earth as we know it back to the book of Genesis, which we'll turn to in just a few minutes. You can go ahead and turn there. We'll be reading from that in just a few minutes. So that we might never forget so that we might always be aware and have a fullness of clarity and patience and direction, so that we might always see and think and process everything with a fullness of knowledge, that we might know where we came from and how it defines us and directs us. This is why God inspired Genesis to be in our Bibles. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory about Genesis for the next five or so minutes, and then we'll close with a few verses from Genesis. And again, this is just the intro. So I want you to, get, I want you to have a passion for your origin. I want you to have, a, have, a, have an interest in why, how we got here, why we are here. And we'll get into more of this for the next couple of weeks. But again, Isaiah, please, that we would remember our God who has such a personal invitation for us. 
This is why God gave the revelation to Moses and inspired the book to be in the very front of our Bibles. Because more than a book that tells us what happened, now listen very clearly. More than a book that tells us what happened, Genesis is meant to be read and understood as a book that explains why this world exists and why and how things got the way they are. So listen clearly. Genesis is given primarily to explain why this world exists and why we are here and why things are the way they are. From the, our design to the flaws that we have to the problems that we face, Genesis is to give us our origin as a people. And here's something super important about Genesis. Genesis is one of two books that almost entirely comes from God's dictation. Think about the Bible. There are 66 books. 64 of 66 books are based on things that writers saw with their own eyes and received divine insight about what was going on and what those circumstances were about. As in the people that wrote the books were there and saw those things happen with their own eyes. That's the credibility of so much of, of, of all but two books of the Bible. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God, as in it's given through the inspiration of God, that God inspires people, but it's also clear that the people that wrote those books were on the ground observing those things with their own eyes, and there's personal flair to it. There's, there's a difference in Moses' writing and Matthew's writing. There's a difference in Daniel's writing and Paul's writing, as in the unique individual has some input. But, but, again, Moses was there for Exodus. Daniel was there in his generation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were there. But there are two books that almost entirely are written through the, through the form of dictation or direct revelation from God, and those are Genesis and Revelation, which, ironically, the first and the last book I don't think that's a coincidence. We've probably always thought about Revelation that way because it is a look into the future. The intro, John sees it, but then he has a vision. We've probably always thought about Revelation, but maybe you haven't ever thought of Genesis that way. Genesis was written by Moses, and I think most of us know Moses wasn't there when it happened. Moses wrote it on Mount Sinai after spending days receiving revelation from God as God was forming Israel and establishing Israel for their future nation. But a big part of why he gave them Genesis, a big part of them receiving Genesis, was that they might know where they came from because most of them did not know where they had come from. They didn't have books. They had maybe some passed down stories, but most of them had forgotten about these people that came before them, and many of them thought they were just fairy tale figures. They were myths. They had heard of Abraham, but was he really a real person? They had heard of Jacob and Isaac, but they, were they real? They had heard of the God of Abraham, but they hadn't heard from him in so long. Could they even trust him? And that's why when God first appeared to Moses, when Moses was on the backside of the desert, when God first appeared to Moses, we hear this line repeated again and again and again. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, that's Yahweh, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they had heard of Abraham, they had heard of Isaac, they had heard of Jacob, but they hadn't heard the stories. They didn't know the stories. And this was a revelatory moment for Moses and his generation. The God that you have heard whispers about, the God you've heard rumors about, the God you wonder if he's actually real because of all the other things going on in the world and because of how powerful the empires of the world are and how prevalent their religions are and the stories about their gods are, the stories about your God that you've forgotten about or maybe never heard about. This, the purpose of this moment with Moses and God and what he would go on to write to the people of Israel is that they might understand that their God was the one and only God and that these things that they had heard about had actually happened, but that there was so much to learn about how they got to where they are and what they were as a people and who they were as a people and who the whole world were to God by learning those stories. So as God's preparing Israel for the future, when he brings them out of Egypt and he takes them to Mount Sinai, he doesn't just give them rules and laws, but he gives them the book of Genesis by way of Moses. Now, Exodus 24 tells us this is kind of how it, it all came together. Exodus 24, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. They're at Mount Sinai. God says, Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone, the law, the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. Then Moses went up on the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain as in the glory of God. And it says, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, now that's a pretty important parallel to an earlier story that we're going to look at, don't you think? That there was this week-long period where Moses was immersed in the glory of God. I wonder what he was learning about there. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud, went up on the mountain, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And we believe, scholars believe, we believe as Christians that that's when Moses walked off the mountain, not just with the Ten Commandments, but with the story that we call Genesis. Genesis would have been an essential part for preparing them for the future as they could finally learn so much about where they came from. In particular, he wanted them to know why and how, the why and the how behind the what. They were the what. They were the people that came from the, the earlier generations. They were the result of the stories. But God wanted them to know why all of this was happening. And so Genesis is written and framed in that way to explain very few important things that still are relevant for us to learn because our story is a continuation of their story. A few of the whys and a few of the hows that are answered in Genesis. Why did God create the world? Why did God create us? Did he have to? Of course not. Why did he do it? We'll learn about that. Why did sin enter creation? Because it wasn't made to be broken, but it fell away somehow. Why did it happen? How did it happen? And how can we overcome it? And how is God working to overcome it? And how are we able to overcome it. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say that Genesis isn't a reliable source. It is. It is a, a, a record of history, but its primary purpose is explaining why. God was giving Moses the basics so that Israel would know where they came from, what they as a people had been through, and where they were, where he was intending to take them. And that's why Genesis sometimes doesn't explain everything. It doesn't give us all the details. It, it doesn't do like a history book and give us every little bullet point fact. Sometimes Genesis spans thousands of years uh, because 
the purpose of it isn't to say, here's what happened in every little detail. It's to explain, why did this happen? How did you get here? So God gave Moses the revelation of how things started in more general sense, zooming in at specific points in the story. But the first 11 chapters or so are this origin story of the world uh, about humanity across thousands and hundreds of years with these key, key questions in mind. Who is behind all of this and why did it all come together the way that it did? Now, I want to give you a little bit of uh, uh, understanding about why Genesis would have been very valuable and very priceless to this, these people. The pagan religions had such a wild and elaborate idea and had these elaborate myths that explained things in a very convoluted, really grotesque ways. And the people of Israel would have grown up in a world where the origin story of humanity would have been very grim and very, honestly, depressing. Now, if you want to stay up at night, if you want to read something that just makes your mind spin, uh, just Google uh, the... Just go on Google and type in the Enuma Elish. This is a myth. It's, it's not it's true. It's just a, a, fabri a fabrication of these ancient religions. But the ancient religions that dominated the ancient world from Egypt to Babylon, they would have believed the story that is contained in the Enuma Elish. So the people of Israel that grew up under as Moses, they would have been told a story that would have made them feel very small and very unimportant and very valueless. To, the, to God or to the gods. And that's why they would have been very un, uh, unmotivated to do anything with their lives because they had been told that the world was created by a god named Marduk, the champion. And Marduk was just one of the many gods who got in a fight with another goddess and Marduk slayed the goddess and when he cut her in half accidentally and regrettably on his part, but it was her payback to him. The, as this goddess was killed, the overflow of this goddess's body resulted in the world being created. Again, that's unbelievable, but that's what they were told. So they were told that Marduk killed another god and that god, payback to Marduk, was to create a world that would be a thorn in his side was to create a world and to create a people that would be an aggravation and a burden and a bother. So Marduk responded by creating hell where he could quickly dispose people as they crossed his line and everyone crossed his line. That's the world the Jews were brought up in. That's the world that everybody lived in four, 5,000 years ago. People were obstacles to the gods. People were burdens. And that's why Yahweh wanted to set the record straight and tell the true origin story so that they would have this foundation and clarity about where they came from and why they existed so that they would know and find comfort and inspiration from where they came from in order to find a right sense of direction for their future. But it's not just where they came from. It's where we come from. And, and I don't think any of you believe that Marduk created the world because he killed another god and she cursed him by making people and making the world. Y'all don't believe that. But there are some of you that wonder if you matter. There are some of you that wonder if your life has a purpose. There are some of you that wonder, does God really care about me? And does God have a plan for me? And is this world really God's personal interest? 
There are some of you that wonder, is God really involved in creation? Is God really hands-on or is he just laissez-faire somewhere off in the distance just watching us as we spin around? Genesis doesn't just tell the story of where we come from, but it explains the story of our God and it shows us why he made us. In the beginning... There was an all-sufficient, all-powerful God who had an idea. God who was all spiritual in a realm that was surrounded by, uh, that he was immersed in, that served him and honored him, decided to create a universe that was different in his, from his own in almost every way, but a universe in which he could pour out his goodness and pour out his glory into Contrary to what many had heard about God in this world, Yahweh wants us to know that this world was his idea and his desire. And the very first few verses of the story make it very clear. The universe would have a built-in reliance on God, but God would have, always have a vested interest in it. As in, God made the world where it needed him, but God always wanted to and is always interested in being involved in this world. So it's not a burden to him. It's not a problem for him. It's not an aggravation for him. It's a desire of his heart. Y'all know how Genesis 1 starts, but I want to just read these few verses in closing just to give you a taste of where we're going. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I want to show you some very, very important things that I doubt you've ever heard before. Not because I'm smarter than you, but because this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. God created it, but he didn't just snap his fingers and everything start going into perfect motion. He created a void with all the pieces and all the elements necessary to bring about the world as we know it. Now, here's what science would say. Science would say all this stuff just started cooking together in this primordial soup, and it all accidentally and coincidentally just came together in this perfect fashion. And that's partly true. God put all the elements and all the pieces in this formless and in this void of creation. And here's the message that you may have never heard before. These verses say to us, it, would be, it might have been possible that God could have just put all the tools in the soup and things just combusted and came together. But that's not how it actually happened, even though it might look like that could have happened. The story tells us that God's spirit hovers over these elements and these resources and God decides to take an active, hands-on approach to make it clear the kind of God he was and would always be. And listen, it came together so perfectly and all the elements show the record of the, of the reactions and all the things that clicked and catalyzed. It looks as if they just all took on the form and the shape and all became like they were supposed to be on their own. It looks as if it was just all part of some equation that clicked off and popped off because that's how meticulous God was in his design. And God could have just stood back and said, hey, watch this, but he didn't. He was hands-on. He was personal in his approach. God is not some hands-off distant creator that merely threw the ingredients in a pot and watched it cook. 
God is a present, personal designer and maker of the earth and everything in it. That's the message Genesis wants you to take to heart. And that includes you. I love that it teases out this idea. God could have just left it all up to natural reactions that he poured into the soup. He could have left it and it would have happened, but he takes a sovereign and fatherly approach and puts his own personal touch on it. In the beginning, God set in motion all the different scientific processes that now you can, you can stack books from here to the moon that explain it all. God set the world in motion and that it would function without him even having to be involved, yet that's not the kind of God he is. And that's why we read all throughout this chapter, God catalyzes all the different stages of creation with his own words. What does verse 3 say? And God said, let there be. And if you go through the chapter with a highlighter, verse 6 and verse 9 and verse uh, 11 and then verse 14, you see those words. Verse 20 and verse 24 and verse 26, you see these words, let there be or let it happen or let us make. It's God catalyzing it. It's God causing it to happen with his own personal fatherly touch. Do you see the difference in that? In some accidental, coincidental situation? Every time you see God, a verb comes after it. God said, God called, God made, God separated, God set, and God blessed. God is involved in every detail. And that all culminates in verse 27, where it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female, he created them. It all culminates, God made people in his image and set them at the center of the world that he just made. They, we would serve a purpose of glorifying God from the center out, as in we were placed at the center of it. All this was made for us to enjoy, right? From the sky to the land, from the water to the animals in it, and the animals on the land. All it was made, and we were put at the center of it to enjoy and to, to be a part of what God was doing. But from that center, we were supposed to glorify God through everything that he put around us. Do you see how it all funnels together? Also, it shows that we're the focal point, as in from the top to the bottom, creation was made to give us the life that we enjoy today. Listen to how God wraps it all up, verses 31 through verses 4 of chapter 2. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Someone says, hey, this world's an awful place. It's aggravating. I don't want to, listen, God says it's good. I know what happened after this, but that doesn't undo the fact that God said it's very good. Be careful talking about the planet and the world that God said is very good and that God took a lot of meticulous time in putting together. And that includes you and your life. He was very good. So it was evening and morning. It was the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth, all the hosts in them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, because he was done. There's a difference, isn't there? You don't want to retire because you have to. You want to retire because you can. God had made the perfect creation. And he blessed it. And he blessed the seventh day because it was a picture of how he completed it all on his own. That we might rest in him because it wasn't anything that we did. Yet here we get to enjoy it all. 
It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Verse four, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. So again, we don't have all the details, but we have the most important one. Why did God do this? Because he wanted to. So that he might bless us and give us the world that we get to enjoy and glorify him on it. And we see a picture of God is resting over creation. It's fragile, it's volatile, but he's confident in that he can take care of it. Oh, it might all unravel in a couple of days, and it will, but he's not worried. Man, what would you do if you, if, if you knew what was going to come and you were in his shoes? You'd worry yourself to death. You wouldn't have made it because you wouldn't want to clean up the mess that came after it. But isn't that a picture of God's goodness and grace? To the original hearers that would have been assuming that they were not important, this would have been assuring and affirming that God loved them, that their existence was a significance, that they had a purpose. This told them that God, that creation was God's idea with our best in mind, an overflow of his love. We see shades of the Trinity. God says, let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit who were always existing, who are pre-existing our world. The Trinity, the triune God in community with each other, loving each other. The overflow of that love said, let's create something that can enjoy us. Let's create someone that can enjoy us. Let's make someone in our own image. Because God's goodness cannot be kept to himself. And aren't you glad for that? We hear this, that we are made in God's image. We're not a blank slate. You're not a blank slate. You're not some void or formless. You are the image of God. You have value from God and you have your identity from God. It all started with those words, let there be light. The word of God spoke light. And here's the message for us today. God's word is still our light. God's word is still our direction. God's word is still our Reminder that God can be trusted because he turned the lights on with the very first few words that he spoke. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word spoke the world into existence with light. His light still leads us. His word still guides us and instructs us. These basic reminders can do so much for us day in and day out. The reminder that we're made by God in his image, reminding us that we are God's idea. He delights in taking care of us and providing for us what we need to enjoy. It is God's good pleasure to give us this world and he doesn't regret it one bit. You know why everything was at peace and resting as God wrapped it all up in verses four of chapter two? You know why it all comes together in this great moment of God resting in this great moment of peace you know what the message is for you and me? Everything can rest and be at peace when we see God as our source and our center. When, God is the, when we realize that God's our source of life, God's our source of light, God's our source of direction, when we realize that God made us and that God is our source and our center, then no one can take away that peace and no one can take away that rest. And you know why you have moments where you don't have peace and the moments where you don't have rest is because God is not the center of your life and God isn't the source where you drive your life from. You've put something else in that place. We all do it, right? Because today, today the biggest, the most important thing is I gotta get this done. Today, the most important thing is this problem. It's her problem. It's his problem. It's my problem. Today, I've moved something else at the center and I've put something else at the source of my life. 
from material things to whatever else that we deal with. The question for us today as we wrap up this introduction, this, ser- this introduction of this series is have we forgotten the Lord, your creator? Have you forgotten the Lord, your creator? And maybe the answer, the, the revelation of whether you have or not is do you have the peace and are you at rest like this story should bring us to? And maybe the reason why we don't have rest and the reason why Israel didn't have rest is because they'd forgotten where they came from. Have we kept him as our source and strength of, of, in life, as the center of our, and foundation of our lives? Are we constantly taking direction and inspiration from him? When we observe this earth and everything in it, do we think about how he put it here and it all serves us because he made it to do that? Maybe the best response we can give to this message is to marvel at the greatness of our God who did all of this just to give us life so that we could be before him, live before him in peace and contentment. He is the Lord. He is our Lord. He is your Lord and your creator. He's given everything to us that we need. Have we given him our faith? Have we given him our trust? Have we given him our dedication? Why wouldn't we? I know there's more to the story, but the most important part of the story is the beginning of it that makes it very clear to all of us and makes it unquestionable to all of us. While we are here, it's God's good pleasure. It is the overflow of God's love that we exist. So the question I think for us to think on is, is our, 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 are our hearts overflowing with love for him? If creation is the overflow of his love for us, Shouldn't our hearts be overflowing for a love for him? And, and can't our hearts be full of, of love for him? If he's our center, if he's the source that we derive our life from, then they absolutely can. But the process, the journey to this place begins at learning where we come from and not moving past it before we understand how we fit in the story, why we are in the story, And it all goes back to God and his love, his personal touch on creation so that you might enjoy this life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder of where we come from. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that this brings us today, that we aren't just here by coincidence. We aren't just here because... Well, we just kind of happened or showed up. We're here because you, as a sovereign creator, as a heavenly father, set all this in motion so that we might get to live before you and enjoy this life and honor you in it and glorify you with it. Father, I don't know where this lands with somebody today, but I do know that this can bring us a great amount of encouragement, a great amount of peace, and give us rest. Lord, I pray that you would try the hearts of the people and ask them, are, is the center of their life, is the source of their life you? Is their heart overflowing with love for you just as they are the result of your own heart's overflow of love for them? God, be with us as we have this invitation. If anybody would like to step out and say, I want to rededicate my faith in God, I want to put my trust in Him anew, Because I know that he made me. I know that he's my creator. And I know that he meant it. And I can trust him. Lord, help us to enjoy this world that you've given us. For your glory.
Help us to trust in you and your plans. In Jesus' name, amen.